0: Today's episode of Data Driven is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash driven. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. Now here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. Hello, and welcome back to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and data science as a whole. With me, as always, on this journey into exploring the new world of data science is Andy Leonard. How are you doing, Andy?
1: I'm doing well, Frank. How are you? I'm
0: doing fantastic.
1: Very cool. Um, So... I understand, Frank, that um, the past Summit 2017 just closed their call for speakers, and I believe I know someone who may be my partner on this podcast who may have submitted for the very first time.
0: I did. I submitted two talks, uh, and um, basically, it's the same talks that I gave in um, uh, St. Louis at the Silver Linings uh, event uh, with some interesting titles, uh, I'll say. Uh one is called Machine Learning Melee and it's basically And I think
1: that's the TAME title. Is that correct? Is that the what? That's the TAME title, correct? <laughs> no, it, it it's all
0: it's all very G rated. It's uh it goes by a very uh, very heavy boxing theme. My my father was very much into the boxing, uh the sport of boxing, so uh, Very I, cool. I came up with that and I, I compare kind of feature to feature AWS and, and Azure's, uh, machine offerings. And, um, um, I'm sure our guests will be happy to know. And anyone from Microsoft will be happy to know that, uh, Azure ML does win. Um, although I imagine there will be a rematch at some point in the future. Uh, <laughs> and-
1: My favorite title. Uh, is the uh, is the other talk that you submitted
0: (laughs) yes Uh, fear and loathing in data science a savage journey into the heart of a new frontier and a career change
1: (laughs) well that was somewhat biographical for you because I know it was uh, gosh this is we're recording this in May of 2017 it was about a year ago you began this career pivot
0: right uh about a year ago i found out my job was moving uh to uh redmond and um uh, i realized that you know i I really needed to amp up my skills because uh you know kind of the um i liked what i was doing in terms of building uwp apps but um you know there's just this enormous opportunity to affect change uh in the data science space uh and i saw that when when i would present to uh various um Dignitaries who came by the, the K Street office, you know, I could show them the latest G Whizbang apps that we had for Windows 10. But what really got their attention is if you could take raw data and and, and really show them um, impactful information in a uh, visually understandable way of their their congressional district, their home state or their home country. And that that really I had kind of this uh, epiphany, you know, uh, at an internal event last year. Uh, called the uh machine learning and data science summit. And uh I had an incredible time and it was a bit like that scene in the Blues brothers. It was a bit like that scene in the Blues brothers where um uh the John Belushi character, um was it Joliet Jake, has you know said, I've seen the light when <laughs> I saw that, you know, this field exists and uh it's it's absolutely incredible. Uh and for the longest time, you know I would always avoid kind of that data space because I didn't want to become a DBA. Sure,
1: uh, <laughs> sure.
0: Although some of my best friends are DBAs. And
1: I'm not going to take that personally, although I'm not technically a DBA, I'm a, more of a database developer, but it's interesting to me, um, especially uh, on this show with, with our, our honored guest today, that your journey began with people looking at data locally, regionally, and especially globally. Um, because just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was listening to to Rima uh, deliver uh, a lot of great information at the Build Conference, um, and uh, she was talking about this new globally distributed Azure database offering. So uh, with that, Frank, I'll let you do the formal introduction.
0: We are very excited today to have uh, a very distinguished guest, uh, Rima Neme, who is a quite the big deal. Uh, she is currently an architect in this product called Azure Cosmos DB. She is an architect in the Azure Cosmos DB team and on the open source software analytics team at Microsoft. She is currently an architect on the Azure Cosmos DB team. And if you've not really followed kind of the announcements coming from Build, um, Azure Cosmos DB is is the database service of the future. Um, it's It's... Definitely going to be a big deal because it's massively scalable databases in the cloud. Uh, Previously, she was a technical assistant to the office of the chief of the corporate vice president of the data group at Microsoft. And before that, she was a principal engineer with 10 years of experience in both building systems, database management systems, big data, query optimization, and data storage. At Microsoft, Some of her biggest accomplishments include jump-starting the Poly-based technology and shipping it in both SQL Data Warehouse, SQL Server Parallel Data Warehouse, and SQL Server 2016, including developing the cost-based query optimizer in SQL Server Parallel Data Warehouse. And she's given numerous technical presentations at conferences all around the world. She holds a PhD in computer science from Purdue University, and an MBA from the University of Chicago We won't call her doctor here, but you can call her doctor Welcome to the show, Rima
2: Thank you, thank you
0: So, um, first off, uh, tell us a bit about kind of what you do at Microsoft uh, You're an architect on the, on the Cosmos DB team And you're on this te- another team called the Open Source Software Analytics team Can you tell us a, a little bit about that?
2: Sure. So um, my role as an architect, uh, you know, the title is an architect, but I call myself a ninja. Really anything that has to do with uh, both technical side as well as the business side, myself being a little bit of a hybrid uh, due to my background and education, um, I kind of uh, watch over uh, end-to-end life cycle of the product itself. So, uh, my role involves everything from, you know, looking in, uh, at the technical specs, um, providing the roadmap for the products, doing code reviews, uh, writing white papers, uh, reviewing others, uh, material or content, whiteboarding quite a bit. Uh, meeting with a lot of customers, educating a lot of our customers, um, meeting with a lot of our partners, field, um, and so forth and so on. So it's a very well-rounded role. Um, I I love it. I think it perfectly suits me and my personality, um, you know, in terms of uh, doing a lot of various things throughout the day and throughout the months and throughout the year. Uh, but in the last six months, we've been primarily uh, focusing on uh, getting to build, you know, getting the service launched, um, getting all of the capabilities in order, um, doing a lot of early POCs with the customers. Um, and, um, you know, now we are going at a strong momentum and basically getting the service uh, adoption um, at the really, really great rate. So it's really great to see this. Uh, and, you know, the AUSA, uh team, uh, the AWSA stands for Open Source Software Analytics. This is another team uh, that is a sibling team to the Cosmos DB, and that encompasses everything that has to do with the analytics, with the world of analytics um, based on the open source software technologies. So the primary service today is Azure HD Insight, uh, which is Hadoop on Azure. And we will be lighting up all the capabilities based on the open source of software technologies in the near future as well.
0: Wow. One of the things that, because um, I I had the, the live stream in the background, and one of the things that made me stop and say what was how Cosmos is, it's not just um, massively scalable, it's geographically scalable. And uh, one, it would be great if you can kind of spend a minute kind of explaining that. But also, and this was the part that blew my mind, was the fact that the the SLA on a piece of data being available and replicated everywhere was just ridiculous. I mean, like, and I mean that in the best possible way, like that that should not be possible.
2: Yes, yes. So the service itself, so Azure Cosmos DB is a globally distributed uh, multi-model database service. And it was built as a globally distributed service from the ground up. So the project started actually in uh, 2010, known as a Project Florence uh, internally. Um, Satya, who is the CEO today, was actually at that point running our division and he was the sponsor of this project and primarily it was targeted at uh, internal teams who were dealing with who were building internet scale applications and they needed the backend that could scale with their requirements so we've built this really geographically scalable architecture. That allows you to basically store and manage the data where wherever your users are all over the world, and the motivation here you know uh, with cosmos d b is that cloud is everywhere you know Azure is everywhere uh, the users are everywhere, devices are everywhere. Um, the front ends, which are basically the apps, stateless apps, they're everywhere. So the data needs to sort of catch up to that paradigm and be everywhere as well. So as a result, we wanted to build this globally distributed database that would enable highly responsive experiences, uh, regardless of where the users are in the world. So today, uh, Cosmos DB, we call it, uh, it's a foundational Azure service, uh, what that means is that it's available in all Azure regions by default, including uh, sovereign and government clouds as well. So as you know, as Azure is adding regions, by default, we will be in that region whenever we add it. So for instance, I think a few weeks ago, we announced a new region in Africa. As soon as it becomes available to the public, we will be in that region as well. So that's by virtue of being a foundational service. Um The service enables completely transparent and automatic multi-region replication. So you can come in and you can create your database instance starting out in one region, then you can go and associate any number of regions with your database account at any point in time. And so you can go from one to 10 to 30, and then you can size it up or size it down as much as you want. Um, The beauty here is also, as you're adding and removing regions, Uh, This is enabled by a really, really uh, awesome and differentiating capability. It's called uh, Global Distribution Turnkey. So you don't need to deal with clusters or nodes or machines or VMs. You literally come to a map on the portal... Uh, pick a region, uh, select it, and then click save. And then the data will be seamlessly replicated. And if you want to remove the region, you just deselect it, click save, and you know, uh, and we take care of it for you behind the scenes. So it's kind of like you know, when you turn on the car, you know, the turnkey capability. You don't need to know how the engine of the car works or how the actual machinery works. It just works. And so this is the same analogy you know, that, uh, that is really leaps and bounds ahead of, you know, anything that is out there. Um, and the beauty also, another uh, kind of like cool capability is uh, the multi-homing capability. So as you're adding and removing the regions, your application continues to be highly available because all of the endpoints interacting with the database backend are logical by default. And the apps don't need to be redeployed during failover or as you are adding uh, the regions. You can also access, you know, the database via physical endpoints if you need to. Uh, but we provide you this uh, logical interface as well that allows your application to be completely not aware of where the data might uh, currently be coming from. Uh, another beautiful thing is, you know, it's really designed for uh, high availability. Uh, Because a lot of these internet applications, for instance, if you are creating an e-commerce website, if your website is unavailable for even a matter of a few seconds during, for instance, Black Friday or Cyber Monday, that could cost you millions and millions of dollars. So this is uh, literally unacceptable. So we really designed for high availability. And... uh, what the database service allows you to do is it allows you to dynamically set priorities to regions. And so then you can go in, if a failover occurs, it will actually occur in the order of those priorities. Another cool capability that we actually provide to you, you can simulate regional disasters via API to test your response Uh, to those disasters and how the database will respond and how your application will actually survive it. Uh, So you can literally test the end-to-end availability of the entire app beyond just uh, the database. And as you mentioned, in addition to all of that, we give the comprehensive SLAs. So this is the first and only uh, cloud service out there that is really pushing the boundaries of what is expected from the cloud service. And I say, we are in the service business, we're not in the software business. So as a result, what we've done is we've looked at all of the dimensions that application developers really, really care about when they're building these types of applications and provided the comprehensive SLAs for latency, throughput, availability, and consistency, all at the 99th percentile.
1: Wow, I, I really love the term um, planet scale. And uh, you know I've heard that term used to describe, uh, doc, uh, sorry, DocumentDB first and then, then Cosmos DB. And one of the features that uh, I found interesting from a database perspective is uh, the ability to choose your consistency? Can you speak to that, son?
2: Sure, sure. So the consistency, uh, uh, you know, uh, Cosmos DB basically allows you to uh, pro- prog- programmatically choose the consistency level that uh, suits your application. So uh, the way uh, we see, it, you know, databases of today are typically could be roughly divided into two categories. Uh, The one category that provides you between the extreme choices of strong or perfect consistency, uh, which is typically relational databases, uh, and it's wonderful and perfect for a certain type of applications, like uh, for instance, if you're performing financial transactions, you certainly want to make sure that you have strong consistency there. On the other hand, uh, they provide you, some systems provide you with another extreme choice, which is eventual consistency where the goal is to make sure that your application is highly performant, highly available, but then all hands are off uh, from uh, sort of the consistency that you can expect from your data. Um, So this is one camp of the databases. Now, on the other hand, there is also a new set of emerging database systems Uh, that leave everything for developers to configure. So one perfect example would be DataStax Cassandra. Uh, It gives you a lot of uh, power, but with great power comes great responsibility. And so you need to really, really know what you're doing. Uh, You need to make sure that you know how to repair your reads. You need to be able to provide very intelligent hints uh, you need to make sure your quorum sizes are correct you 're aware of all of the replication topologies, so all of that burden is really put on the application developers to ensure that you know the availability, latency, and consistency are not compromised as they're making those problems.
1: I was just going to also uh, say there's a there are a lot of apis a lot of interfaces that you expose as well, um, not just document d b but also Mongo Graph and a table API. Uh, those that's that just seems incredible to me from a development standpoint
2: yes yes so uh let me finish maybe with consistency models first and then we will talk about the other you know layers that uh, are put on the stack on top of the stack so coming back to the consistency fundamentally you know when uh an application developer builds these planet scale applications they're facing this trade-off sometimes we call it it's like almost like a tension. uh do they want to choose consistency or do they want to choose availability do they want to choose consistency or latency uh consistency or throughput so we have to look at all of these uh trade-offs and choices that they have to make and make the right one and so what we've done is we've looked at this you know pain point the developers are facing. And we looked at the current state of the art and how the systems force you to choose between these two extremes. In fact, actually, we said most of the real case scenarios don't fall into these two extremes of perfect consistency and eventual consistency. So we've taken 50 years of distributed systems research and condensed it into a set of well-defined intuitive consistency levels allow the developers to go and, you know, fine tune that trade off. And, you know, interestingly enough, based on the telemetry that we're seeing is actually majority of our developers are in that intermediate consistency level. So, and this is something that none of our competition offers today so this is a very strong customer signal about you know the true value of you know being able to pick something that really suits your application needs
1: very interesting
0: well that's great i mean listening to what the developers need is is uh, probably a real key there in terms of delivering uh a product that is and i i have to second you on this one andy planet scale i love the sound of that
2: yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. So the core of the uh, Cosmos DB is actually, you know, if I were to kind of list, it would be, you know, global distribution, number one. Number two, it's a horizontally scalable service and we can horizontally scale out not just storage, but also throughput. So that means if, for instance, today your application starts out with just a few uh, gigabytes and tomorrow it goes into the petabyte territory, we'll be able to handle that. But at the same time, also, you can scale out your throughput depending on the requirements. So, for instance, at one point in time, uh, maybe at night or in the evening or during a certain time of the month, uh, maybe your application uh, doesn't need a lot of uh, requests to be processed. Uh, but then maybe on, uh, you know, Black Friday again or Cyber Monday, you need to make sure that you, you can go and process the bursts in your traffic. So you can literally seamlessly uh, scale out your system with respect to throughput and handle anywhere from, you know, hundreds of requests per seconds to millions of requests per seconds very, very easily. So this is number two. Number three is uh, r- guaranteed low latencies, so this is something that we worked really hard on um, to make sure that we can provide you highly responsive uh, experience. So we give today less than 10 millisecond uh, read latency guarantees and less than 15 millisecond index write latency
0: guarantees. Was that five zero or five one five milliseconds? One five, One five. Wow.
2: Yes. So this is by virtue of the engine being completely schema agnostic. So uh, we don't require the schema. It's also write optimized, and all of your data gets automatically indexed. So to to contrast to, for instance, again, more traditional approach to database management, where typically you're expected to provide schema, you're expected to manage the schema, you're expected also to provide the indices in order to go and optimize your workloads. We sort of looked at it and we said, well, how would you do it differently? And instead of, again, putting the burden on developers or data professionals or DBAs in this case, to go and identify the right indices and to be able to specify correct schema, we said we're not going to go with that mindset. We're going to be completely schema-free and flexible, and we will automatically index all of the data so you don't have to second-guess what you need to index. So the difference is here, you actually opt out out of indexing, not opt-in. And uh, so this is with respect to the latency. And then the fourth one, as I mentioned, is the five well-defined... consistency models and then the fifth one is the comprehensive SLAs so this is like the backbone the core of the stack and then everything else becomes the goodness on top of it so as you mentioned earlier we provide support today for multiple data models uh, including key value document uh, graph and we will add more data models in the future and then on top of that uh, we sort of uh, we said okay Again, instead of being dogmatic or religious about one particular language, can we enable and build the stack such that you can go and plant any API that is popular with the developers and make it work seamlessly against our stack? And so today we support uh, SQL and JavaScript as part of the DocumentDB API. Uh, We've announced that build table API in public preview. Uh, Gremlin API for graph and we support MongoDB API and in the future we'll add more APIs again based on the developer signal where they want to go and uh you know uh, meet them where they are
0: this this all sounds like science fiction i mean and it's not just a <laughs> planet scale term i mean just just the ability to 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 to, to create something that is this performant just doesn't sound real like it's just like
2: So there were a number, you know, this project has been in the workings since 2010. So it took seven years to get to there. You know, it didn't happen overnight. And there were a lot of early uh, decisions that were made that were done right. There was the vision of building this flexible planet scale architecture that again, would enable our own services inside Microsoft to be able to run at scale and be performant and then, you know, at Build, we've announced something that is available now to developers also uh, worldwide. Uh, just to tell you something, internally, most of the first-party applications are in some shape or form already on Cosmos DB. And that includes everything from Xbox, uh, Office 365, Skype, and many other, and even Azure itself is one of our biggest customers.
0: Well, that was my next question. So this is not just gee whiz technology I mean this is battle tested.
2: Exactly so we've battle tested it internally using our own first party workloads to make sure that you know any decisions that we've made they can actually withstand uh, the, the real life and real applications so by all means this is you know this is what I call very careful craftsmanship that has been battle tested over the years mm.
0: And this is the point in the show where we thank our sponsors who make Data Driven possible. You know, on Data Driven, we talk a lot about data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. But did you know the hardest part of any data science related project is data integration? Data scientists often call data integration, data wrangling, or the icky word munging. But it's all about making sure the analytics engine that you're using has valid and clean data. Enterprise Data & Analytics specializes in data integration and can help your enterprise build better data integration solutions faster with best practices and automation. Enterprise Data & Analytics offers training and consulting services for SQL Server Integration Services SSIS, and Business Intelligence Markup Language or BIML. Visit. ENTDNA.com to learn more. Enterprise data and analytics data it's in their DNA.
1: That that is very powerful. Um, I want to, uh, pivot just a little bit and uh, and this has been great talking about all of the cool stuff that cosmos um, cosmos DB exposes um, you also mentioned that you're an architect for uh, ASA open source software analytics team Yep. yep. Um, I'd love for you to speak some about that because for a while and I've been using Microsoft software for a while there seemed to be um, you know a, a little bit of a disconnect Um, perhaps um, a little, um, I'm trying to find the right word, and I'm struggling with it, not aggression. But there was, you know, Microsoft didn't do open source. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that change in the past few years. I've seen uh, a a couple of changes at Microsoft that I I consider very positive. But speak to um, what you do as part of uh, open source software analytics.
2: Yeah. I think, uh, so similar to how we've approached Cosmos DB, we're going to take a very similar approach with the open source software analytics there as well. Um, something that we're working internally right now is really build out a platform that allows us to come and host any, you know, Apache-like uh, you know analytics project on Azure itself, you know, um, the open source community, you know, I think the, the change has happened, you know, gradually, but I think uh, most of the people, at least most of the people that I'm working with are well aware and uh, genuinely embracing uh, the fact that open source community is actually something that uh, we, we are embracing, developers are embracing, and we can actually build a much, much better together story. Uh, you know, purely, purely as a scale-out mechanism also. You know, we can't build every possible cool technology ourselves, and we shouldn't because there are a lot of very creative, smart people out there that happen not to work for Microsoft. And, you know, if we combine our technology with their technology, we can build even something really, really cool. So, uh, and then also a realization that, you know, market votes. So people vote with their, you know, uh, with their feet, with their minds, and so uh, rather than us, you know, sort of being oblivious or trying to fight that fact, you know, I think it makes it's, it's a common sense. We will build and we will, you know, by combining open source software technology with our technology, we can actually create very, very powerful scenarios.
0: Yeah, and I think that, that actually, I think, leans, leans into, um, I think that actually lends into a much more powerful end product. Uh, for developers and users. You
2: know, network externalities, you know, the the more, if you build something, uh, for instance, just a perfect example, again, uh, we've added Gremlin APIs on Cosmos DB, which is uh, based on Apache Gremlin API. Immediately, all of the open source uh, tools, ecosystem, everything that has been built for Gremlin will work just as is. And, you know, that network externality, that, you know, seamless integration, it, it creates a very, very powerful effect for developers. Um, and people really build out solutions that previously would be unprecedented.
0: Right. And it just makes sense because, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of giants.
2: Exactly. Exactly. You, know, you
0: don't have to make the software. You just have to make the software better.
2: Correct. And work together. Yes.
0: Right. And it also, as someone who who, who at one point in, in his life had to sell these kind of solutions, it's a lot easier to sell to a, you know, a traditionally kind of, you know, openly hostile to Microsoft technology stack <laughs> that, hey, yeah. you know what, this is open source. I mean, this this works with stuff you already know.
2: Correct. And, you know, for instance, when, uh, you know, when I started PolyBase, so PolyBase was this technology that bridges uh, relational databases and relational world with the world of Hadoop and big data. And the idea was there, you know, again, just realizing that people will use the tools and the technology that they like, they feel comfortable with. Uh, you can't expect them to go move the data into one place or into one software stack. So rather than sort of uh, being uh, you know, difficult about it, you actually embrace it and make the technology work together. And as a result, you create very, very powerful combinations where it empowers people to, again, do something that they couldn't previously do.
0: So is this technology, um, I, I believe you said it, but I just want to make sure I'm clear. This is already released, right? If I wanted to spin up a Cosmos DB solution today, I could do that.
2: Yes, yes. So you can come to the portal. Uh, you can create a database instance, uh, Cosmos DB, and you can start playing with it immediately.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I and mean, this all just sounds like future tech, but it's yeah. here today.
1: Yeah. Okay, just correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, there's also a simulator uh, available, right? For running locally and Mm -hmm. simulating Cosmos?
2: So uh, for developers, as they're building out the apps, if they don't want to go and spin up a cloud service, uh, we have a faithful emulator that you can go and download on either your machine, or you can actually get a Docker image of it and develop against it locally, play with it, uh, and then when your application is ready, you can go deploy it against the cloud version.
1: So maybe it would have been easier if we'd asked you what it doesn't do. So
2: <laughs> the easiest thing to point out is the global distribution. I mean, you're distributed across, just you're limited to your own machine. So uh, in that respect, uh, the multi-region support would not be there. Uh, The low latency guarantees would not be there because again, uh, one of the reasons why we provide you low latency guarantees is because of the SSD uh, backend that we run internally for the service. Uh, so uh, the latency guarantees might not be there. Uh, also, the SLAs might not be there. Uh, but okay. as far as the APIs, data models, and programmability and everything else that comes with it, you get that by default.
0: Plus, you're not incurring any costs. Correct. While you're developing, which probably would add up.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's that's just so cool. Well, um, we have a couple of other questions. Unless, Frank, you wanted to ask some more technical questions.
0: No, I'm just in awe of this. I mean, it's <laughs> um where can people find out more about Cosmos DB? I know you have a at least one build talk um and... Yes.
2: Yes. So, uh, I would encourage everybody to go to cosmosdb.com. Uh we have lots and lots of interesting documentation there and a lot of how-tos and quick starts. Um, I also would encourage to read Azure blog announcements. We have uh, the announcement blog, which gives a very nice video describing what the service is and what the capabilities it brings. And we also have a technical uh, blog that describes basically all of the fundamental goals that we had in mind when we started the project and how we solved them. Uh, And I also encourage everybody to follow us on Twitter. Uh, The handle is at... Azure Cosmos DB uh, and hashtag Cosmos DB uh, also to see uh, what are the latest news that are coming out.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. I'm thoroughly impressed. We're very
2: excited. You know, everybody, this team, I I joke, but it's actually quite a bit of true. It's like a little startup within Microsoft. (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) It sounds like it, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I just went out to Twitter, Azure Cosmos DB. I am follower number three ninety five.
2: Excellent. We need to so grow that. I'm in early. Yeah. We have <laughs> millions of
0: followers. This is this is impressive stuff. I mean, this is um, this is amazing. Thank you. It, so, it's
1: very cool. Well, uh, we want to ask. A, we have a list of questions we usually ask uh, guests, and we'd like to uh, go through those if you uh, if you're okay with that. Sure. Um, sure. We'd like to start with, how did you find your way into data?
0: Oh, did data uh, find you? Did the data life find you, or did you find the data life? Yeah.
2: Completely by accident. So the story is actually there. Um, how did I even end up in computer science, more so before the data? Um, I came, so originally I'm from Russia, and, but I've been living in the United States for now almost 20 years. Uh, and when I came to the United States, I came very early on to college. Um, I started college when I was 16 years old. Um, my English was terrible. And the only subject where I didn't have to look up every other word in the dictionary was math. So I decided, okay, I'm going to major in math. So my, uh, my undergrad ended up being computational mathematics. And the only reason why is because, like I said, I didn't want to... I was too lazy to look up any other words in <laughs> the dictionary. So... And then after I graduated, I moved out to Boston and I started working at EMC, which is a big data storage company. Uh, and after a few years, I felt that I needed to have more solid foundational background in computer science if that's where I wanted to be. And so um, I started taking my classes uh, at the Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Um, and I took a database class completely by accident. Uh, and usually the classes would be late in the evening, uh, and I would be very tired after working the full day. And so I was sitting one evening, and then my professor asked me, um, so what do you think about this? And it was a uh, subject about query optimization at the time. And, you know, I was maybe tired or whatnot, and I said, you know, honestly, I find it really, really boring. <laughs> Being also... <laughs> <laughs> open-minded and uh, my professor maybe was a little bit offended but also a little bit challenged and she took on and she went on and on for 40 minutes trying to impress me with query optimization and i was so taken by that and i saw her like that spark in her eyes and i just said to myself you know if she is having this much fun with this maybe i should give it another chance And so I started uh, working more and more on QO, and I did my master's thesis. And then when I uh, actually, after I finished my master's degree, I decided to go and get my PhD. Query optimization actually became the focus of my PhD dissertation. So I started completely by accident, uh, very, um, you know, uh, happens to be just something like that. And from that on, you know, I've just been taken uh, and it's been a fascinating journey. I mean, I absolutely love, I, I joke, but I picked the field before it became so popular as a result of big data or all of these technologies that are now making it really, really shine. Um, you know, it's, it's been a fascinating journey.
1: Well, it sounds like uh, you're definitely in the category of data found you.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had no and idea also, what I was looking for. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and I'm also taken by the uh, that part of the story where um, that, that professor's passion uh, for optimizing queries is what really, really got you interested in the field. That's pretty awesome.
2: Yes. 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 Uh very cool. That that definitely changed my entire life because I quit my job and I moved out to Indiana and I started working on my PhD dissertation. So I, I got to say, that was a really uh, huge turn point in my life. Yeah.
1: Very cool.
0: Wow. And I'll say this my wise, wise cracking answers to teachers have never panned out that well for me. So kudos to you.
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: Uh, did I hear right that you started college when you were 16? Yes. Wow. And I
2: graduated when I was 19. So uh, I was a little bit oh, in Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I oh. uh, because I came from Russia, I started school very early there, and uh, I skipped a few grades. And yeah, I finished my high school at 16, and then I started college, and then I finished undergrad in three years.
0: Wow, I am. I'm even more impressed. Just when I think like, I can't get any more impressed by the the technology and what you've done and what you've accomplished, you you, you find something else. That's a, that's really great.
2: Thank you. But um, you know, it's not the degrees and the technologies that really matter. I mean, I always say, uh, you know, there are fundamental things in life that you know I'm far more proud of other things in life. You know, uh, that have nothing to do with the accomplishments that I've made.
0: Well, that's a very good segue into one of our questions, where is uh, when I'm not working, I enjoy blank.
1: Um, So
0: what do you do? What do you enjoy when you're not working?
2: Yeah. Uh, So uh, I have two uh, children who are absolutely fascinating. Uh, And so I obviously spend a lot of time with them when I'm not working. Um, I have a six-year-old boy and I have a four-year-old girl and uh, they... Certainly bring out uh, the, mo- the most raw feelings and emotions in me that I could ever imagine. Um, in addition also to my kids, I, I am a pretty avid runner. I love running outside, and I'm also a pretty avid uh, yogi. I love doing hot yoga. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I enjoy reading a lot. I try to, uh, you know, actually schedule my own reading time, you know, in the mornings or in the evenings, sometimes when everybody else is asleep, uh, because this is something I truly, truly uh, just value. It's a time like a me time.
1: Well, I have to ask, uh, is there a particular genre that you prefer for reading?
2: Uh, so I like science fiction. I also like uh, nonfiction. Um, and uh, I love Russian books as well. So this is something that I guess as a, you know, whatever is left for my previous life, I try to read, uh, still read in the native Russian language, uh, the Russian literature.
1: Okay i'm a I'm a science fiction fan myself. I don't have enough time to read uh, well, I say that I do read a lot, but I would like to read more than i yes, do yes
2: and, and so do i so i try sometimes actually literally make it the priority um,
1: same here and and i like I've, I've kind of you know i've read a lot of the classics um in the in u s literature english literature i am um a fan of series of, of writings and uh, I would say everything from Asimov. Uh, forward to uh, Kim Stanley Robinson uh, huge fans of all that yeah yeah cool very cool well we have another um, another uh, couple of questions here one is I look forward to the day when I can use technology to blank
2: oh that's a hard one Uh, you know we want
1: to make you think
2: I know I know I (laughs) know Oh, uh, you know, um, I, I I think I, I look forward to the day when the technology make me ever present everywhere. You know, there's just so many places I would like to be at the same time, at the, uh, you know. And so if I could be in multiple places at the same time, uh, you know, uh, in particular, I always say when I travel and I cannot be close to where my family is, you know, being able to do all of that Concurrently and simultaneously, that would be fantastic.
0: So, a a Cosmos DB for physical objects?
2: Yes, physical or, you know, projections, you know, something similar to maybe like HoloLens or whatnot. I don't know. Uh, Virtual (laughs) presence, but in 3D.
0: (laughs) So, the final question is uh, share something different about yourself. And remember, uh, we'd like to keep our uh, uh, clean family rating on iTunes.
2: Oh, something different about myself. Um, You mean something that I've done or something that I do or? Just something
0: unique. I mean, for instance, I used to be an EMT in the Bronx. Uh, Like that's like, like, wait, what? Like
2: (laughs) um, when I was um, not a lot of people know about this. When I was actually in college after my freshman year, um, I needed a lot. Of, I needed money to pay for school, and uh, being a foreign student, I was limited to just a few places where I could work. So I ended up actually being a door-to-door salesperson here in Bellevue, Washington. And I used to knock on people's doors and sell books. A lot of them were Microsoft employees at the time. I didn't even know that I would come and work for Microsoft. Uh, and that was one of the hardest, but one of the most rewarding times in my life um, because that's when I discovered there are a lot of really, really wonderful people out there uh, in the world that would help you without getting anything in return. Uh, it was also the most humbling uh, time uh, because um, as anybody who has ever been in direct sales, you hear a lot of rejection and being You know, a teenager, it's not something that you like to hear a lot. And it was also very hard because, you know, you literally have to cover uh, a large territory and I only had my bike. And so after that summer, I said to myself, I can do this, I can do anything. So so being the door-to-door salesperson in my late teenage years, uh, I think it taught me a lot about resilience, not giving up and just, you know, staying optimistic no matter what.
0: So where can people find out more about what you're up to and uh, other projects that you've got going on?
2: So I would encourage uh, people can follow me on Twitter. Uh, My uh, handle is at Rima Nemi. Uh, That would be one great way. Uh, Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Certainly, you can send me an email also. It's RimaN at Microsoft.com. Uh, also, since we were talking about PaaS uh, early on in this uh, hour, I, this is also not yet, uh, hasn't been advertised, but I will be a day two uh, keynote speaker at Pass this year. So I'm very much awesome. looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, and we will be able to share more about uh, deep technical how-tos uh, on Cosmos DB on that day. Um, so, and obviously also check out cosmosdb.com, uh, and our, uh, Twitter handle as well. That's where you can find the most up-to-date info.
0: Wow. Thank you very much. This has been an amazing interview. You are, uh, you've done some amazing things and, and, and with, with Cosmos DB, I think you've done the impossible.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm very humbled. So it's actually, it's not me. You know, I, I when it comes to Cosmos DB, I really want to give the kudos to Dharma Shukla, who is the founder of the service. He was the visionary behind it and he really believed and never gave up on it. And the entire team, I mean, the team is really, uh, has all the good energy and has all of the passion about taking the service to, you know, where nobody else has taken cloud service. So by all means I'm just one person who represents this team and it's you know it's a great honor for me to do that.
0: So closing on our sci-fi, sci-fi theme, you could say that you're taking cloud services where no cloud services have been before. <laughs> yes,
2: well you know I always say that uh, your application deserves a database service that is truly out of this world. That's why we called it Cosmos DB.
1: <laughs> that is so cool.
0: Well, thank you very much for being on the show.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen. Become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at datadriven.tv.